turning your Bibles to Ezra chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. Today uh, feels like a monumental day in the life of Summit. Um, as, we, uh, as we look to commit, I know Ian already talked about it with the capital campaign, and as we look to, in our annual meeting today, um, approve, approve the 2023 budget, um, which has uh, some major significance, and we'll talk about that in a little bit right after lunch. Um, it feels like a monumental day, and the reason we show a video and, and do some of the things that we're doing today is to remind us, right, of why we're here, remind us of who and what God has called us to be. And that's really what the sermon, uh, what the message that I want to bring to, uh, to you this morning has to do with. Um, because no matter the circumstances, God's God. Right? No matter the circumstances, we can say God's in control. Amen? And in Ezra chapter 7, we really see Ezra come onto the scene um, in, in, in the story of Ezra, right? In the book of Ezra. But what we need to recognize and kind of catching ourselves up here in the context, and this is so important because anytime we read Scripture, we've got to make sure that we're getting the context, right? So the Israelites had been in captivity for seven years. They'd kind of been, 70, excuse me, they'd been banned, and now they're coming back, and they've said it is time for the temple to be rebuilt. And so they've rebuilt the temple after about a 15 to 20 year halt on progress. They've rebuilt the temple. And they've opened it. We talked about last Sunday that the temple was ready, the temple was finished, and they opened it. We talked about their service and all the animals and all the sacrifices and all of those things. And then we get to chapter 7, and what we've got to see and think about is this, that in every aspect, all of the events surrounding Ezra are not favorable. All of the, all of the events surrounding Ezra are not favorable. Have you ever been in a situation where all of the events surrounding you weren't very favorable. All of the things that were looking that, that, that you were looking at, that you were looking ahead to, they were not in your favor. They weren't, they weren't to your advantage. Let's think about Ezra for a moment. He's an exile in a pagan nation. Okay? He's a priest, but if there's one factor that works into his advantage, it is and only is the hand of God. That is the only thing that Ezra has to cling to in his disadvantages and his situation and all of the events that surround him that aren't favorable. If you look at the very meaning of his name, the name Ezra, uh, it, it works wonders for him and his people. The name Ezra means literally a divine help. A divine help. <clears throat> and so... My question for you this morning as, you're, as, we're, as we're diving into this is this, how do you respond in chaos? Now, we're not in an interview, all right, for sales when they ask you, how do you respond in stress, okay, in the, in the high tense situation? Because, you know, as someone that's done interviews, that's conducted interviews before, I know that whenever I ask that, that question of someone in the interview, and, and in fact, any type of counseling, any type of interview, you, you, you as the counselor and you as the interviewee, interviewer, uh, interviewer, right, you know you're only going to get about 40% of the truth. And so anytime anybody asks, how do you respond under stress in a job interview situation, what are you going to say? Really well. Oh, I'm the best under stress. Right? You just, oh, I can handle stress. Whew, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Right? 
I got this, right? When in reality, what an interviewer should do is call up Kristen and say, hey, I've got Travis here. He's interviewing. Um, and and uh, he just told me that he responds really well under stress, really well in chaos. What would you say? What do you think Kristen would do? Laugh. laugh. That was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> she would laugh, right? <laughs> wow, I'm feeling really encouraged. Okay. Um, but again, enough about me. I asked you the question. How do you respond in chaos? Ezra was a priest in Israel. We already mentioned that. But when Israel was captured Babylonians uh, by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were conquered by the Medo-Persians, right? all of this history that we've talked about, if you've missed it, go back and listen to it. He has many reasons, Ezra has many reasons in this moment to abandon and forget his office as a priest and go live a, live a normal life for a minute for his own personal survival. Right to kind of go and do his own thing for a little bit. But for Ezra, the chaos that he's experiencing in the moment didn't change his priority. Why? Because he had a call. He had a call. Anytime you feel like quitting anything, you should go back to the reason you did it in the first place. Because if it was easy, God wouldn't call us to it. And so, and so Ezra did exactly that. He went back to the priority of his call and why he was there in the first place. And the more the situation looked dimmer for his nation, the more clear it became that his people needed him in the role that he had been called to do. So he seeks God more. And let's look at verses 6 through 10, okay? We're not going to be able to hit all of chapter 7. Let me sum it up for you. Ezra comes on the scene in verses 1 through 6. Then Ezra, uh, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10, actually 6 through 10 this morning. And then what we see after that is Ezra sends a letter to the king, then the king responds, and then we're going to pick up at the end and see the response of all, uh, the, 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 um, the outcome of the letters and, and, and all of the blessing. Sound good? All right, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Underline that, star that, that's important. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Look at verse 7. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra, remember his uh, name means divine help, came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, began to go up from Babylonia... And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. And then check out verse 10. There's so much meat in this verse that we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning. Verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, very, very simply, in the midst of Ezra's chaos, in the midst of everything maybe pointing him in a different direction, including taking a break, okay, Ezra looks 
to God's favorable hand. We see it here in verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law. How does he look to God's favorable hand? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, he prepares his heart. See, human has, uh, we as people have a tendency to look for men and women of authority and power for protection. But Ezra decided to find his help from God. We look for shields. We look for people that, can, uh, may, that maybe we can hide behind and all of these different things. But for, for this, he had made some important preparations. First of all, he prepares his heart. We see there in verse 10 that he set his heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, what we've got to come to grips with is people this morning. Are you people this morning? Good. For those of you that didn't answer, Stay after class, because we got to have a conversation. Okay? But the way that we can perceive people can be dangerous. You agree? I mean, we're looking at people through a filter in our own eyes. And, and the reality is, is that a lot of times we think people should, and, and we may even want them at times, to be just like me. Because here's the reality. If everybody thought just the way I thought, I wouldn't have to bump into people. Right? One of my biggest pet peeves, I can't remember if I said this in the sermon last week or not, but when I was at the Freiburg Fair uh, last Friday night. Remember the fried Oreos? Okay, hallelujah, amen. All right? And, and I, I, was at, I was at the fair, you know, my biggest pet peeve. Any, anytime I go to an amusement park, anytime I go to a crowded situation, you got people that are walking along in a big space and, 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 you know, traffic's moving, right? And then what happens? They stop. <sighs> mm. They give no warning, right? They, they, they give no signal. Okay? They don't try to move into a breakdown lane for pedestrians. They don't even try to stop and pull over to look at what they're looking at and the display that they are admiring. They just stop right in the middle of the flow of traffic. And it's sinful. <laughs> there are not many things that cause rage in me. Like that. Now, y'all may think I need some help over this, and that's fine. Send me. Okay? I'll talk to anybody about this because I know I'm right. <laughs> and here's the thing I've talked to some people about this over the last week. They're like, How's the fair? I said, Most of it was great. What wasn't great? And I went into this, and they were like, I agree. Well, here's the thing we've got to team up, people. We've got to change the tide. We can't allow this to happen anymore. Come on. We need some lanes, right? We need, a, we need a passing lane. We need some break in, in the pedestrians, okay? Come on now. It's biblical. <clears throat> what am I getting at here? I'm getting at, in that, I want everybody to be like me. I want everybody to keep the pace that I'm keeping. I think everybody should be like me. Well, there's a problem with that, isn't there? That actually is biblical. 
You're not me. And when I try to look at you and put you in a box that is Travis, I'm not doing you any favors. I'm not doing me any favors. And guess what? I'm cheating the kingdom of heaven. Because God created you to be you. And so the way I perceive people and the way I look at people thinking and wanting them to be just like me when they aren't, I'm just looking at the outside and my flawed vision of the person in the situation. Because when I look at you as a sinful being, as a broken individual, I, there's, it's not possible for me to see you the way that God sees you. I can ask, but in my own strength, that has to come from God. In my own strength, I cannot see you the way that God sees you. And the problem many of us face when it comes to church, and the reason many of us get frustrated with this whole thing called Christianity and this family of God, some of us are even uncomfortable with that because we know some people in the family. Come on. You can say amen to that. I'm one of them. We've got to recognize that when I look at somebody and I judge by their outward appearance, I can get it wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, I can get it wrong. Some of you need to say that again. Look at your other neighbor and say, I can get it wrong. That's good for you to say. That's good for you to remind yourself. Hopefully for you auditory listeners, hearing yourself say that, you might actually believe it today. I can get it wrong. I can get it wrong. Listen, I can get it wrong. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And also, as Ezra was setting his heart here, let's just spend another couple minutes on this, okay? Ezra was dealing... Ezra was dealing with what, with, with what could have affected the situation, right? But he didn't. Because see, most of the time, the people that bother us, the people that we're trying to see, the reason they bother us is they're a lot like us. Or they remind us of a version of ourselves that maybe we're not very comfortable with or happy with. Ezra prepared his heart at the height of a discouraging situation. He knew that the national sin of the people, the disobedience of his people as a whole cause for their captivity in the first place, he knew that God was merciful. And on that moment, on that moment, more than ever, he needed to seek God and intercede for his people instead of try to change people because he realized he couldn't change anyone but he knew the God that could. And so he prepared his heart, and the next step to get help from the hand of God is to seek the law of the Lord. And so to seek him, he ponders the word of the Lord. So my question for you this morning before we move on is this, what's your heart set on? What's your heart set on? What's your heart set on? Secondly, he pursues the word. Look back at verse 10. He says there, For Ezra had set his heart to do what? To study the law of the Lord. 
He pursues the Word. Ezra understands that the battle happened first in the spiritual realm. And because it is a spiritual battle, he must prepare a spiritual armor, which is the Word of God. Paul talks a lot to the church at Philippi about this, and we're going to flash in and look at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. And what he's talking about here is equipping yourself to fight the spiritual battles with the armor of God so that you may be able to stand in this struggle. That you may be able to stand in the fight and withstand the attack. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, listen to me, church. If you're in a battle this morning, you've got to remember where the battle comes from. Battle's not coming from the person across the aisle from you. That's not where the battle's coming from. I've had to remind myself of that many times this week. We may have to remind ourselves of that after we eat a little bit of blue pig this morning and we have a conversation about money, everybody's favorite topic. I preached on money, what, back in June, I think it was, and I got a text uh, after the service that afternoon and somebody was like, I actually love it when we preach on money. I was like, great, let's... Do it again. Um, Got to remember where the battle comes from. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic. See, there is a battle going on for what? For your heart, for your focus. And so Ezra set his heart on the things above to study the things of God. And so Ezra knew that no matter how difficult the situation may be at the time, The Word of God could give him hope. We've heard that already this morning. Amen? And the present situation may be telling them to give up or to compromise, but the Word of God is telling them to stay faithful because God is still in control and He has a plan for their hope and future. So Ezra has two options, right? To listen to the the disappointing situation or or to listen to the hope of God's Word. He has the option to listen to the discouragement Or he has an option to reject the lie and claim God's promises over his discouragement. He has two options. Obviously, he chose the latter one to listen to the hope of God's word. And then look at what he does next. Number three, he does what it says. Now, this is what separates us as Christians. Can I say that? This is what separates us. This is what separates us. Let's look back at the text. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. See, plan is nothing unless you execute it into action. I don't remember where the quote came from, but I heard this one time. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. Right? The weight doesn't just fall off. The money doesn't just magically appear into the bank account. The relationships don't just magically get better. Nothing changes if nothing changes. We have to invest some time and energy and effort into those things. Amen? 
You may be planning to change. You may be planning to return to your family. You may be planning to give your life to God. You may be planning to give up your vices. You may be planning to commit your life to full-time ministry. You may be planning to share the Word of God to your family, to your coworkers. You may be planning to be faithful to your wife or to your husband and many other good intentional plans. But here's the reality. Unless you execute your plans, they will remain as good intentions. You have to do it. You have to do it. Reading and knowing is good, but you have to put it into practice. Think about the prodigal son. I think it's Luke 15. Uh, He reflected on the mistake that he made by taking his inheritance and going and just spending it all and ended up with the pigs. And he spent some reflection time with the pigs. I reflect a lot with the pigs. Don't you? And as he reflected, he realized that he was wrong. And he needed to return to his father. Not expecting what he was going to get. If you remember the story, he's hoping that maybe dad will just have enough grace on him to allow him to be a servant. But what does dad do? Restores him to full sonship. Isn't that amazing? That is us this morning that come back to God. Broken, He restores us to beloved sons and daughters. Full sonship. Full inheritance. Woo! Hope! Yeah. Hallelujah. Or as they say in the South, hallelujah. (laughs) Ezra realizes the importance of faith in action. The word that he believes must be seen in his everyday practice. And lastly, the word must be shared with others. Look at what he does. Look, at, look back at verse 10 one more time. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to look to God, not his circumstances, and to do it. And then lastly, to teach his statutes and rules in all of Israel. Now, here's the deal. Let's look at the job description for a moment. I went out and found this list this week. As a priest, Ezra knows his responsibilities. And I want you to know, I'm putting this up on the screen because this, this hits really close to home for me. Okay? Because a lot of the things that Ezra has to give his life to, this kind of part of his job description as a priest, reflect some of the things that are my job description as your pastor. Okay? So in honor, let's read it together. As a priest, Ezra knows his responsibilities. Number one, he has to teach his people the word of the Lord. This, right here, teach his people the word of the Lord. Not necessarily to complain about the pedestrians at the Freiburg Fair, but to teach and use those things to teach people about the word of the Lord. Number two, he has to illustrate the gospel by the burnt offerings in the temple. Why is that an illustration of the gospel? The sacrifice, the sacrifice that cleansed the sins of the people. Okay, they used to do that with animals and and, and all kinds of sacrifices in the temple. Then Jesus came and paid the ultimate sacrifice and paid the debt that you and I can't pay. So as a priest, number two, he had to illustrate the gospel by the burnt offering in the temple. And the beauty of it is, he didn't have a full understanding. None of the priests of the time, they knew the promise of the coming king. They knew the promise of the coming sacrifice. But they had no idea how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would play out. But that's just the call that they had to represent the gospel that hadn't even been completed yet with the burnt offerings. That's awesome. 
To, anyway, number three. He has to make the Word of God alive by demonstrating it in his own life. He's got to be an example. He's got to live a life worth modeling. He's got to be a parent worth imitating. A husband worth imitating. A friend that reflects what friendship is. A brother that's there. He's got to model it. That's the hardest part. Number four, he has to show the people how to trust the Word of God even in a difficult time. Number five, he has to encourage the people to leave the contaminated life and go back to the Lord. Again, I quoted that. I would probably say that in a different way. He has to encourage the people to leave sin and go to the Lord to repent. Encourage people to repentance. Number six, he has to pray for the revival and restoration of his people according to the promises of God. Here's the reality. You're not my only responsibility. As your pastor, I carry a burden of eternity for the people at the baseball game behind us right now. And so if I ever seem discontent or spacey to you, it might be because I wish we shared a deeper burden for those that aren't in here yet on a Sunday morning. You don't get the privilege of being my only burden. That's why I like new people in here. They don't call me pumpkins. <laughs> don't get any ideas, new people. Revival and restoration in the land. And number seven, he has to be a living testimony of the mighty power of God's hand. What does that mean? There better be fruit in my life. You better be able to look at the dust I kick off of my feet and the dust of my rabbi, Jesus, and see fruit behind me. See people following Jesus more today than they were a year ago. I did something pretty... Mm, nope. Maybe I'll share in a minute, John. Hang on. Ezra prepared his heart, pursues the word of the Lord, practiced the word of the Lord, preached the word of God, and as a result, God helped. As a result, just like he said he would, God showed up and helped him. As I mentioned, Ezra sends a letter to the king. The king responds, basically giving everything Ezra asked for in response. And so what's the result? I'm glad you asked. Ezra experiences the favorable hand of God. As Ezra got his priorities straight, he experienced the favorable hand of God. You know, my favorite part over the last six weeks of being your pastor has been to share the story of what those pictures told in that eight-minute video. To share the story and to share the stories 
of how we're seeing the favorable hand of God. I was out on the land last night and just looking around and walking through. They've got the pipes where all the toilets are going to be. So and when we go out there now, I can show you where you're going <laughs> to go. Right? But, and, and, it's, and just as you're out there, it is miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in the favorable hand of God. As we sit here this morning, we get to experience Sunday after Sunday after Sunday being in the space, the favorable hand of God. We are in here rent-free. We have a key to this place. Don't abuse it. The favorable hand of God. And it is a testimony. Family, I'm not saying we're perfect by no means. I'm not saying we're perfect by no means. But, I'm, but I am seeing, saying that over the last four and a half years, five and a half years, we have done everything we could to make sure that we are in the dust of the God who called us to be a church. And as a result, we are walking in and experiencing the favor of God in a way that I can't always explain. Today, we will vote and by faith, come on now, let me claim this, approve a budget that is reflective of the favorable hand of God. We are imitating what our brother Ezra did back in the day. In the midst of dire situations, desperate situations, he focused on what he needed to focus on, and guess what? He experienced the favorable hand of God. Let's look at it. Look at verse uh, 28. Excuse me, we're going to back up to 25. Is that okay? I, I see the time. I see the time. Okay. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as, known the law, all such as know the laws of your God. And those, who don't, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the, the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment, or for the confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Okay, let me sum that up for just a moment. Some of you may remember Exodus 18. Okay, Moses is leading the Israelites out of captivity, out from under Pharaoh's rule, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Let them go, let them go. Yeah, 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 right? That whole thing. Okay? And in that, okay, Ezra, uh, not Ezra, excuse me, Moses is leading the people by himself, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and he's sitting alone as judge. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brings Moses' wife and kids to come visit him one time. Jethro has been in the back kind of observing Moses at work. You father-in-laws ever done that before? Right? You know what that's like. Jethro comes in, wants to see what son-in-law's up to, wants to see what Moses is up to, right? Wants to approve right, of, of, of all the situation. And, and Jethro comes to Moses and after observing and says, listen, Moses, what you're doing for you and these people is not good. You've got to build a team. And so Moses is like, Jethro, you're right. I've got to go build a team. I've got, I got to have people to help me to do this. Uh, same thing happened in Acts chapter 6. Um, Peter, Jane, uh, they're, they're, they're waiting on the tables and, 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 it's, and it's affecting their equipping of the saints for the work of ministry that they have been called to do in the church. And so they go and they appoint deacons to wait on the tables to serve the physical felt needs of the body so that they could focus on equipping the saints for the work of ministry and preaching the gospel and all the things that we just looked at, that whole list. Um, so so so, so it's all throughout Scripture. And here, the king is telling Ezra, hey, you got to do the same thing. you got to build a team. There's got to be judges. And they can't judge based on the outward appearance. They've got to look at the fruit of the life. 
They've got to look at the sin in the heart. They've got to call and correct, and they've got to do these things. They've got to look at these things. And then verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king that, that wasn't following the Lord. That's my favorite part. Shame on us for thinking God can only use church people. <laughs> to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. Excuse me. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. I took courage. Underline that, star that. Let me tell you something. When God is in your corner, when Jesus has your back, when the Holy Spirit is in you, you can take courage. Wake up. You can take courage. He's with you. You can't fail because even when it feels like failure, it's exactly what He wanted for you so that you could learn what He wanted you to learn, needed you to learn, so that the next time, so that the next time, you could shepherd somebody else through it. It's funny. Every other Monday, every other Monday I have a call with some pastors um, all, all over. Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. Uh, we got a guy jumping on from Wisconsin. He'll be fun to listen to. And this past Monday, you know, it was kind of, it was a holiday. Kids were home from school. I was doing some things around the house. And, uh, and, and, I, and I just, I wasn't in the mood to do the pastor group thing. And I was, and as I was outside finishing up kind of the list of things I was hoping to get done for the day, I, t I texted the guys already, hey, I may be on, I may not be on, I'm not, I'm just not really sure what the day's going to look like today. And it was like, it was like God spoke to me just right out in the middle of the yard while I'm out there. And he's like, hey, dumb, dumb. Because that's how God and I talk to each other. I don't call him dumb. I mean, sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Reverence. But God's like, Travis, listen. If you only want to be a pastor... and share about your heart when things are good. What's the point? And so I got on there. And it became my turn. And we have, we have a way of kind of evaluating ourselves and kind of doing a self-evaluation. So it was passed to me. Travis, how you doing? And I tried to lie. Oh man, things are great. And then I was, and then it was like the Holy Spirit just caught me. And he's like, be honest. And I was like, man, things are just rough. And it's nothing to do with anything around here. Don't don't get discouraged. Don't be like, oh my goodness, what's going on with Pastor? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gotten in your own way. Okay. But then for the next 25 minutes, these two guys 
just boom, boom, boom. By the end of it, two pages of notes. These guys just speaking to my life. Oh, I remember when that happened to me five years ago. Here's exactly what you need to do, bro. Here's the passage you need to read for encouragement. Here's the promises you need to claim over your life right now. Here's the conversation you need to go have with Kristen. Here's, here's how y'all need to be praying. Here's what you need to go and tell your staff tomorrow. Here's what you need. All, like Just boom, 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 like drinking from a fire hydrant. And it was amazing. And I thought to myself, I thought about you. And I thought about how many times we come in here when things are good. But we have trouble with what we did a little bit ago. Admitting our brokenness. Let me ask you this. If you can't admit your brokenness here, where can you admit it? Where can you admit it? He experienced the favorable hand of God really quickly. His request was granted. We've seen how the people were resilient. Look at verses 6 and 9 for, the, for those. But then I want, I, want, I want to focus on this, and we're going we're gonna to close it down. Because we're going we're gonna to end our service this morning at 11.15. <laughs> he found the strength that he needed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered others from Israel to go up with me. Ezra becomes strong because of the hand of God. Not because everything made sense now, not because everything was crystal clear now. Not just because he got everything he wanted. But because of the hand of God that caused all of those things. So the reality is this morning, some of us may be feeling weak and fearful. Some of us may be feeling afraid to start some good things or afraid to stop some bad things. We may never have the courage or the bravery of heart to endeavor for a challenging task or projects. But listen to me. If you're sure that you have the hand of God with you, then you don't have to be afraid. Because God will give you the courage and the strength to do the thing He's brought you to. And that's not a prosperity gospel this morning that's the God we serve that he equips you for the tasks that he puts in front of you I'll ask you again because it's kind of been the theme over the last couple of months is anything too hard for the Lord is anything too hard for the Lord so that's my question for you this morning as we're going to close, and again, today's just kind of a different day, because we're going to close a little bit differently than we normally close. In your bulletin, you've got what's called a commitment card. And some of you have already turned these in. The worship team is going to come up here, but we're going to have a time of commitment. And if you're a first-timer with us, or you're kind of new with us, or you're not quite 
there yet with us. There's a, there's a place for you on this card. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But for those of you that belong to Summit, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you haven't already, I want you to take this commitment card. I want you to first pray. These guys are going to play a song. I want you to pray. God, what? One more time. What would you have me put on here? We're asking for $3 million over the next five years, and we're trusting the Lord through the whole process. If you've heard me talk about this, you know that those two numbers are outrageous. And we're asking God to move. Why those two numbers? Well, because the $3 million is exactly what we need to own it outright with no one else on the mortgage. To own what we're building with no one else on the mortgage, no guarantors, no, no, no nothing. And the five years is our goal to stand on our own two feet as a church. We'd love to do it sooner. We'd love to be debt-free in five years. But we felt like these were the numbers that God placed on our heart. And so, give you a moment. You'll see my commitment. You'll put it there. You can check weekly, monthly. So like if I'm doing $10 a week, then I would $10 a week times 12, which is 120 times five years, and that's your total gift. We know that some of you are going to do your addition and your multiplication wrong. And that's okay. <laughs> some of you have that gift. Some of you don't. We'll check it. You may get a call this afternoon, tomorrow, or Tuesday and saying, your math is way off. What were you intending to do here? That call won't be from me because I'm not going to see these cards. The only cards I'll see are those of you that don't make a commitment necessarily, or the only list I'll get, let me put it that way, is this. While I cannot make a financial commitment, I can commit to being a prayer partner. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're kicking the tires of church, you're kicking the tires of Summit Church. I won't ask you to consider a financial gift this morning necessarily, but I will unashamedly ask you, will you pray for us in this? If this is the only Sunday you ever come to Summit Church, because you're like, this guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and these folks are, whoo-hoo, would you pray for us for the next five years as we do this, as we go home? I was in there last night. I don't think I've told anybody this. And I looked at my son, Ezra, and my daughter, Vera, as we were standing in the lobby. And I looked at Ezra and I said, I'm going to baptize you in this building. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, can we practice it? <laughs> and so we did. Put my hand over his nose. I took him back. I counted to 20. <laughs> and I brought him back up. And then the copycat Vera said, I want to practice. So I did. I took her down, brought her right back up, and Ezra was like, "No, no, no, Daddy! You gotta hold her down for 20 seconds." <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to baptize your kids and your grandkids in that building. I can't wait to see the folks that are watching the baseball game back here and the soccer game over here this morning sitting in these seats, or those seats, and committing their life to Jesus. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this.
We're not doing this to have fancy and new, because if you're hoping for fancy and new, I got news for you. New, yes. Fancy, probably not. That depends on your commitment card. Don't forget the words of Ezra. He set his heart. He set his heart to study the Word of God, to do it, and to teach it. And the Lord showed his favor. That's what we're doing. And we're asking the Lord to show his favor. Is anything too hard for him? So I ask you to analyze that in your personal life this morning. And as you hold this commitment card, would you consider that? I'm going to pray over these. The worship team is going to sing a song that I've asked them to sing. Because I feel like it's so appropriate for today. And if, you would, if you're sitting here this morning, I'll put the bucket right where I'm standing. Because I want to invite you to come down. And if you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, just, I don't think I can make it down there. I've got Ian. He's ready. Uh, Jim's going to be ready and Zan's going to be ready to come around and grab your connection card or your commitment card, excuse me, and bring them down for you on your behalf. So don't, don't fret about that, okay? But let's pray. Father, we're claiming this morning, we're believing this morning, nothing is too hard for you. And God, we believe in your faithfulness, you've brought us to this moment. We believe that you have given us everything we need for what you've asked us to do. We believe that you're calling us home. And yes, eventually we'll be called home to eternity with you. But as a family called Summit today, we believe you're calling us to 26 Cressy Road. to set our hearts on you, to study as a family the things of you, to do those things in obedience and faithfulness for you, to teach and equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so God, thank you that we get to do this. I, like the poster board in that video, can't believe that we get to do this. I pray today that we don't give out of obligation, but that God, we would give with the right heart of joy, knowing this is what you have for us. And I pray that for every commitment card that's turned in, even if there's a number on it, God, that we would check the box at the bottom saying that we commit to covering this thing in prayer. And that we would do it, just as Ezra did. Set his heart and did it. That we would commit to setting our hearts and doing the things that we've committed to. So God, I give you this time. I ask for your favor. We believe nothing's too hard for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.